Well, thank you, Jesus. Okay, here's what I want to talk to you about. Matthew 9, 10 through 12. I was reading through Matthew, and this scripture just caught me. And I, and I, just, I, I just, just, just stuck with me all week. And, and finally I said, well, Lord, you know, you, I know you made me pretty, but uh, I'm kind of dumb. What, what do you got for me? And he just began to speak to me about a, 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 an aspect of this scripture, and I want to share it with you. We've been talking about, uh, and we're going to be in this theme for a while, but we've been talking about allowing the scripture to inform us, to transform us, to direct us, to correct us, to encourage us, to exhort us, to be the seat of our conscience, to be the place from which we make decisions. You see, we live in a culture that thinks that we all get to decide what it is that we think, regardless of truth, regardless of anyone else. I get to be the Lord of my life. I get to decide what's real and what's not real. Well, how many of you know that doesn't work very well with gravity, does it? It just doesn't. It's a silly, silly, silly way to think and reason, but we do live in a generation that actually thinks that how, that's how things work, and we see it again and again, don't we? And we see that begin to permeate the way that we make decisions, and we become very, very relativistic in our thinking. Well, you know, that's just not really how I would do it. Well, who cares? How would God do it? Check with him first, and then, yes, you can pick the color. He'll give you the crayons, but he, he's going to pick the coloring book, okay? You guys with me? You look scared now. I'm going to be nice. All right, let's read this word. So I want to inform our thinking a little bit with this scripture. Jesus is, is going about doing good, and he's gathered his disciples, and he's healing the sick, and he's, he's healing blind eyes, and he's preaching. And, and at this point, it says, now what happened is Jesus said at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are, are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says to them, look, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So that's, that's a starting point for us with Jesus. The word says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the standard by which we are called to. Jesus said some crazy things while he was here. Like, for instance, be perfect as my father is perfect. <laughs> way to lower the bar, Jesus. Yeah, I just don't really think I'm going to do it that way. Well, he said, be perfect as my father is perfect. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what does that mean? It means that when Jesus showed up on the scene, if you got called, have you gotten called? Raise your hand if Jesus showed up on your scene and called you. Yeah, that's everybody. That's everybody. And you know why he showed up? Because he's the great physician. And do you know why great physicians show up? Because you're sick. <laughs> that was funny to me. Anyway, they show up because you're sick. They do. And Jesus is showing up, and he's trying to give the Pharisees a little bit of a heads up. Like, I hope you guys get it that you're sick. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But, but he's saying, I showed up for the sick people. I showed up for the sinners. 
I showed up for the people that need to be healed. And everybody in this room is here because at some point Jesus showed up. He showed up and he said, you're sick. You're sick and you're, and you're helpless and you're hopeless. And he has compassion on us and he says, come here, you're like a sheep without a shepherd. You're a sick sheep. Danny Silk, you know, sick sheep. How many of you were in the 90s? Remember they used to say sick pup? Don't remember that? Anyway, sick sheep. Bah. 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 So we're all sick sheep and Jesus shows up and he begins to heal us. But here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing that happens to us. You see, when we became saved, Romans 10 says this. It says, the word is near you. It's even in your mouth, right? And he says, and if you believe in your heart <laughs> and confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So the way that we got saved by this great physician is simply that he came and said, I'm going to do everything to heal you. And the only thing that I need for you to do is repent and believe that I can do this. And we go, so wait a minute, you're saying I've fallen short of the glory of God? Yes. And I'm guilty. Yes, you're guilty. And I'm sick. Yes, you're sick. And if I admit that, you'll heal me? Yes, I'm in. And that's how we got in. But then some time goes by, and we begin to believe, no, we begin to forget where we came from. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about that it's very vital that we remember where we came from, that we remember where it all started, because here's an interesting thing that happens, and the Pharisees are running into this. We begin to believe that we've arrived. We begin to believe that we're actually really good at this. We begin to create some cool rules where we're pretty good in this area and we just sort of ignore this other areas. And then something even worse happens. We begin to become above correction, above direction, above anyone else telling me anything that I don't want to hear. Suddenly, we feel pretty good. Pretty solid, pretty pharisaical. And we forget that Jesus shows up for the sick, and that's where we started. I want to show you something here. There we go. The other day, about two years ago, I fell. I fell. I had a fall. It's really funny, I was sharing with a neighbor pastor, Pastor Brad at Life Bible, and, and we hadn't seen each other for some time, and I said, yeah, man, I tell you what, since the fall, it's really, since I fell, it's really taken some time to get back, and he's like, looking at me all weird, and I'm like, what's the matter? And then I go, yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's just, it took me longer than I thought it would. It really affected me, and he's like, and finally he stops me, he goes, brother, forgive me, but I just, what are you saying? Like, he's assuming that I, like, had, you know, a drug addiction or some sordid affair. I was gambling away the church's money or something. And he's like, you had a fall? Like, I forgot that pastors can't say things like, I had a fall. Because that's code for a lot of stuff. And you don't go tell other pastors, I had a fall. And they're like, oh, no. So, at any rate, I did have a fall, though. That's my spot over there. I fell out of that ceiling. And, uh, and anyway, I misjudged the situation. This is 20 feet. And I fell 20 feet, and I landed, stuck the landing perfectly, but there was a lot of momentum, and I fell back, and I caught myself like Wolverine would with this arm, but I don't have a iron, metal, magna, exoskeleton, and so I just blew my elbow apart, 
And so you can see, and on the other side, it's broken too. I broke it in three pieces. I broke this little triangle out of there. I don't know what the, maybe you can give me a prophetic picture of why it was a triangle. You can get back to me on that. Anyway, and I tore the ligaments off of the elbow, and I dislocated it, and I broke it. And so I'm sitting there, and it's like rubber. It was just, it hurt so bad. And I'm laying on the floor back there, which is now my meditation spot. It drives Janelle crazy because Janelle came running out. She was the first one to see me. First she heard me. She runs in. She sees me. She immediately prays a prayer to God, calls 911. The prayer to God was more of an oath. (laughs) Anyway, so when I come back from being unconscious, I look down and I see my arm and I'm like, oh, that's not good. And I go to move it and it doesn't want to move. And I, so I move it and it's like, you know, it's like rubber, you know, just bleh, it's just bleh. And I'm like, oh no. And I looked over this car, this one was open, you guys know this story, but I have to tell this part because it's my favorite part. And it's laid open, I can see the bones. And the first thing I think is like, I broke both my arms. And the second thing I think is, I'm not gonna be able to take care of my own business in the bathroom. <laughs> this is gonna be horrible. So that, I, that's a, before the Lord that happened. So at any rate, I was just like, no! And that, that actually inspired me immediately to start moving my hand. I'm like, the fingers are working. Okay, I don't know how they're working, but they're working. The arm is working. We're going to be okay. It's a miracle. So at any rate, this thing was broken. And so what I did was uh, they called 911, and the paramedics showed up, and they gave me something awesome, something so good. They were like the spirit of God, the comfort of the Lord. Oh, take me anywhere. I I was witnessing to them, and I thought it was brilliant. I was telling about the love of Jesus. My wife said it sounded like this. Let me tell you something about Jesus. I remember it being really good. I remember them weeping. Apparently, it was with laughter. I don't know. It was, I was, my heart was in the right place, and that's all that matters. I don't think any of those guys got saved but they saved me. At any rate, I entrusted myself to them. They took me to the physician. The physician took this picture. And then he cared for me, as physicians do, and he put all this in me. And he, he looked at my elbow and he said, there is, your elbow is in a, it's in a condition that is not right. You are sick. You are a sick little sheep. But I have compassion on you. And then apparently he hadn't been to wood shop, so he attached all this to me. And he put me back in a condition that I was supposed to be. In other words, he restored me to the standard of the glory of God wherewith an arm can actually work. Are you with me? I needed to go see a physician because I was sick. I was sick. Say that. I was sick. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. Okay, so Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And by virtue of that, we have to realize where we came from. Now, what happens is that after some time of being in the kingdom, and, and, and we are growing, we are growing. I'm going to throw out an Edward. Dear ones, we're growing. Come on, Ed Glasby, dear ones. All right. We are growing, and we're going from strength to strength and glory to glory. But here's the thing that we can't forget. We were sick. When I compare myself, you ever notice when you compare yourself, you don't start with like, I'm going to compare myself to Charles Finney. You know, when somebody says like, you probably shouldn't do that, you're like, well, you know what, it's not like I'm Charles Finney. No, you say something like, well, it's not like I'm a, uh, a bank robber. <laughs> you don't pick the high standard. You know, how often do people, when you're doing something wrong, and they go, you really shouldn't do that, you go, well, it's not like, at least I'm not like Jesus, 
You wouldn't do that because he is the standard, right? You're actually picking a lower standard. You're comparing yourself to someone who you assume is worse than you, okay? Well, we do that when we forget that Jesus came for the sick. We started out sick. Are you getting me here? You don't compare yourself with where you came from as the standard. You compare yourself with Jesus Christ, who is the standard. You guys with me? You see where I'm going here? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He is restoring us to the glory of God. When we forget these parameters, when we forget that where we're coming from was being sick, we come up with some really weird lifestyles. I like this. I'm hoping that this look right here means I like where you're going with this and not where are you going with this. I'm going to assume the best. We were saved by grace. It was very, very easy. We simply believed what he did, and we received the fruits and the results of him being who he is. And we did that with no effort. All we did was said, Lord, I am sick, and if you will heal me, I will follow you all my life. I believe that you're that good. I believe that you did that. And you know what he does? He puts us back together. It's like this. This is grace. He puts us back together. And then if we don't continue to grow, if we, if, we, if we think that means everything, if we think that simply I prayed a prayer and that's everything, then we begin to believe that our lifestyle is going pretty good. You know, I mean, it's not like this anymore, which is good. <laughs> it's not like I'm like that anymore. I mean, look at me now. But here's something interesting that happened after this. This actually didn't require anything from me except for to receive the administration of grace and drugs and equipment. And then I laid there and my wife did everything for, I don't know, a couple days. It was a few weeks. And then things started to work and I could actually move the thing, you know, and they took the cast off and I was like, boy, I'm really cooking with gas now. This is awesome. And it was just like, nothing worked. It didn't bend very good. I had like a little bit of range, okay? Compared to that first picture, it was pretty good. But then I went in and I met the other servant of God, the Holy Spirit, also known as a physical therapist. <laughs> and they told me my standard was lousy. They told me that I wasn't even close. And I was excited. I was like, no, check this out. I got it all back. And, and he's like, and, and they were great. They were really encouraging. They were sweet. That's good. That's really good. Let's go ahead and take a look and see how far this can go. And they're like, and I'm like, <laughs> and here's what's really interesting too, is they did hurt me. Those jerks hurt me. But the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, better than the kisses of an enemy. You know what I didn't need? I didn't need somebody to come and say, oh, you've been through so much. You don't have to stretch that thing. You, you know what? You were saved by grace. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You could just stretch your head when you want to eat your, with that arm. Just move it right there. It'll be fine. You know, in the sweet by and by, you'll be able to use that arm like crazy. God doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't care. And if haters do that, you just sing them the song. You don't know what it feels to be me. Tom Petty prophesying to us. You don't know how it feels. Anywho. No, they didn't do any of that. They didn't do any of that. 
they hurt me. And here's an interesting thing I learned. I want you to put this one in the bank. Here's something I learned. One of the things the physical therapist did to me, Red's checking his watch, that hurts my feelings, Red. Um, Here's what the physical therapist did to me. He would distract me when he was about to hurt me. And not only that, he told me that and then hurt me. But he did this, and this is very good. Think about this. Hold on to this one. He said, what I do is I find out what people care about. For most of them, it's either politics or religion. Either one will do. And then I talk to them about it. And while they're getting passionate about it, because pain is an interesting thing, and it's how you relate to pain is how it affects to you. And so if I talk to them about something that they're passionate about and they think about something other than themselves and their pain, they feel less pain. And I'm actually able to take them further than they thought they could go. Come on, that'll preach right there. If I think less about me, I hurt less. What? Jesus comes and he says, For judgment I've come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, Are we blind also? And he said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, and therefore your sin remains. How in the world does that fit with this word? Well, let me explain. Jesus is teaching them, and the Pharisees come, and essentially they've lowered the standard down to their thousands of ways to keep the Ten Commandments, all right? They've lowered the standard, and Jesus is showing up, and he's raising the standard. He's coming, and he's saying, I didn't come to save the healthy, but the, but the sinners, the sick people, the people that will admit that they're sick. I've come to help them. And he says, you guys are blind guides, and he's telling these parables, and they begin to realize, I think he's talking about us. And they say, are you talking about us? And he says to them, if you were blind, then you would have no sin. You'd just be innocent of it. But now that you're listening, now that you're picking up what I'm throwing down and saying, no, I'm fine, your sin remains. What's the point? The point here is, every one of us has been saved by grace. We were sick. We didn't know how to live. We didn't know our left hand from our right hand. We didn't know how to forgive. We didn't know how to get along. There was a reason why we can't keep a job. Maybe we still can't keep a job. And we begin to rationalize our own behavior and say to ourselves and others, I'm fine. God is working on me. He will complete the good work. You stay away from me. You don't hurt me. You don't tell me what I can and can't do. You don't tell me about how my life affects yours. That's none of your business. God loves me and that's enough for me. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, well, wait a minute now. This is not full range of motion. Yes, you have pain. And left to your own, this will be where you'll stay. But because I trust my family and because I've made the second commandment that you love your neighbor as you love yourself and in fact raised that and said love your neighbor as much as I've loved them, it's because you need it and I'm going to choose to use other people in your life to help you grow. And if I won't receive from others, in other words, if when people come to bring correction and direction and positive peer encouragement, the word says stir each other up to good works. But what if I claim I don't need you in my life, Jason Vaughn, with your physical therapy stuff? My arm is fine. It's still actually not all the way fine, by the way. See, it's, see that? 
That's it. <laughs> you know what? But I'm not going to pretend like that's fine. I actually am going to have to wait for the rest of that motion in heaven. But I'm also not telling you that this is fully arrived. I've gone as far as I can. Is this making sense? Some of you are going to have some scars. But you're never going to be allowed to lower the standard to your current situation, your current circumstance. You have to let the other people in your life sharpen you and challenge you and bring the word. I'm going to end with a story. Are you guys tracking with this? Okay. This is so vital for us. Many of us believe that we've arrived. Many of us actually want to teach all the time. We're such jerks sometimes. I swear to God, do not swear by heaven nor God. Okay, I repent of swearing to God. I promise you before the Lord that I feel this strongly. I'm amazed at how arrogant we get how quickly. It's, it's extraordinary to me how arrogant we can be. We want to teach. We want to lead. But are we teachable and can we be led? Someone who will not be taught and who will not be led must not lead and must not teach. And yet, I find it rampant amongst Christians that they want to lead, but they do not want to be led. They want to be the head of a group, but they do not want to be a part of a group. And I tell you, this is that Pharisee spirit. I've already got this. I've learned a lot of things in my life. Well, is one of those things how to be on a team? No, not that. Well, it's kind of everything. It's kind of everything. Now, here's what happens. We find ourselves resisting allowing other people into our life. I'll tell you something that's extraordinary about other people. They're not you. It's their greatest asset in helping you. I'm telling you, it's their greatest asset in helping you. Right now, I just need to know, like, do I have a calic? Do I? Because I can't know that. Every one of you is qualified to tell me. Do I have a booger hanging out of my nose? Okay. The only qualification is you're not me. But I could be walking around with a happy hanger all day long unless I'm going to let you speak into my life. It's true, isn't it? And yet many of us reserve the right because we've arrived. I prayed a prayer 20 years ago. I grew for six months. Then I fired everyone from my life. Now anytime somebody tries to bring direction or correction or communication, I fire them from my life. And I go back to the grace of Jesus. And I'm telling you, you're comparing yourself to what? Like six months of spiritual growth. You have to invite other people into your life or you will walk around with spiritual happy hangers. Other people love you enough to tell you there's a reason why you can't hold a job. You are unteachable, you are stubborn, you never admit your mistakes, and you refuse to humble yourself in any situation. That's why you keep a job for about three weeks, because nobody wants to work with that guy. That's, this, is, this is the kingdom. And you know what? You could just sit down with anyone. I encourage you, sit down with someone and just say, listen, can you do me a favor? Now, go easy. But can you tell me two things that you see that I'm really good at and give me one thing that honestly you would just say, if I could pick one thing, I think you might want to work on this. Now you open yourself up like that and somebody's going to be humble. They're going to be humbled by how humble you are and they're going to give you pure gold. Let me read you one more scripture and then I'm going to wrap this up. Proverbs 9, 7 through 10 says this, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. I looked up that word scoffer. And it actually means someone who constantly boasts. 
Isn't it amazing how often you run into people who claim the name of Jesus and brag on themselves? I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. I remember when I used to be a sinner. It was horrible. Now I'm amazing. I've participated in, they're always reading you their resume. But then you also are like, you're like someone I don't want to be around. And I'm not saying that because you're Christian. I'm saying that because you're someone I don't want to be around. You're annoying and self-centered and you're always reading me your resume. What is that? But it goes, it goes better. We can get out of this. <laughs> he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a boasting scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a just man, he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay, I know, this is a painful one, isn't it? I know I'm cutting everybody a little bit, but it says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And as a friend, I'm coming in and saying, listen, it's easy to become arrogant. It's easy to become arrogant. We have to remember that we were all sick, we were all broken, and God saved us by virtue of what he did. And then he said, now I want you to practice living like me. Now I want you to practice living like I have. And the way that I'm going to help you is I'm going to put you with other people who are at various stages of growth from being sick and broken just like you. And I'm going to expect you guys to love each other and to grow. And that's what this is. And how do we know that we're able to grow? How do we know what things we need to grow in? Well, we can simply ask the people that we're hanging out with, hey, what are a couple things that you see that I'm really good at? And then honestly, like what would be the one thing you would tell me that this is actually something you've seen in me that, that needs changing? That is so humiliating, isn't it? I mean, that is so, are you, how many of you are scared? Like, oh, who would I even ask that? I'm gonna take that as all of you. So, I'm going to tell you a story, okay? Because here's, here's how Proverbs lays it out. And this is the word of God. Like, you don't like it? I don't know what to tell you. This is how Jesus rolls. I mean, he laid this out in Proverbs. He said, wise men, strike a wise man, and he will love you. Correct a fool, and he will hate you. So how do you decide if you're going to be a fool or be a wise man? Take constructive criticism. I'll give you this story, and we'll wrap it up. <laughs> I went to this meeting, and I uh, am in this meeting hanging out with a bunch of people I love. It was really, really good. And then this person that I've met like one time comes up to me and he sits down with me, and this is in a Christian situation, which I wanna give props to us as Christians that these kind of situations can even happen because it actually presupposes an extraordinary grace and love environment to do what I'm about to tell you happened. But I'm really proud of myself, so I'm gonna brag to you and then I'm gonna repent. So I've taken this to heart, though, guys. I really have taken this to heart. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying I choose to live this. I choose to live this. And you know what? When it hurts really, really bad, then I remind myself, okay, fools hate correction, Josh. Fools hate correction. You're already hurting. You're already mad. You might as well not be a fool. Be a wise man and get wiser because you know what? The pain ain't going away. So check this thing out, all right? I encourage you to do this with yourself. It will really help you to recover quickly. So this guy comes up and he says, hey, I just want to spend some time with you. And I was like, great, that sounds awesome. And he goes, because here's the deal. I was with some other friends and I was telling them about you. And I was telling them about how much I don't like you. And I thought he was joking. I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, and I was, okay. 
And he said, so I talked with a couple other pastors, which I'm also thinking, like, you went and talked with a couple other pastors about how much you don't like me? Anyway, luckily, my, my buddies said to him, oh, Josh, he's awesome, which I agree. And he said, and if you'll spend a little bit of time with him, I think that you'll find that you actually like him. So I decided, he says, to come and spend some time with you. In other words, I feel perfectly safe coming and telling you that I think you're an idiot and not worth knowing. But I'm magnanimously giving you some time to prove to me that you're worth knowing. <laughs> and I'm like inside of myself having a conversation. You have got to be kidding me. Like, this dude is actually coming and he's starting with this? Couldn't he have just come and hung out with me and then made the decision? I didn't even have to know, you know? But he's telling me on the outset, I'm giving you the opportunity to earn my love and my affection. Because right now, I gotta tell you, there's a deficit. And it's based on the one interaction we've had. So maybe repent. So he's telling me this, and I said, okay, well, praise God. But I thought, you know what? Only in this environment could you do that. And that's actually kind of cool. It's kind of cool that my buddy, who honestly I think is, at very least probably this wasn't the wisest strategy, or at most maybe he's really broken. I don't know. I haven't really got to spend a whole bunch more time with him, so I don't know. But I do know this. I thought, I can afford this. I can afford this. It's no problem. I can afford this. And so I said, well, sit down. Let's get to know each other. So we just share our stories. Mostly I shared because I was the one being interviewed. And um, I felt like I did really good on the questions. I smiled a lot, a lot of eye contact. Asked him about his pets. No. Um, so we continued to share. And we hung out. And, and I could feel a connection growing. And at the end, I said this, because I remembered this scripture and I said this. I said, look, you, you came to me and you asked me to spend time with you so that you could get to know me, to decide whether or not you liked me, having already not liked me. And he's like, you know, I mean, I'm pretty direct, you guys know this. And he's like, well, yeah, like remembering, like, oh, that's right, that is how I started this conversation. Because <laughs> at that point, I think he was starting to like me, and I was scaring him. And so I said, but here's the deal. I've learned that oftentimes, no matter where it's coming from, when people bring something to you, there's almost always something in it that I can benefit from. It's been very rare that anyone ever brings anything to me, be it friend or enemy, that there isn't something true in what they're saying that I could learn from. And I said, so in one meeting, I bugged you enough that you went and met with other people to talk about me and then came to meet me to see if I could prove whether or not I was worth knowing. So clearly there's something I'm doing that maybe I could use some insight. Maybe there's, I mean, that's, that seems like a big response. And so he shared with me, and he said, well, when I was your age, I was very, very ambitious. And he said, and I felt like in hanging out with you, you just had ambition all over you. And it really, really, I don't remember how he said it, but basically, like, grossed me out. I was like, that's awesome. I'm gross. So I said, all right, all right. I said, I don't, I don't know. I said, well, I, you know what? Thank you for sharing that. And I said, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. So I went away from that meeting, and I am still in process. So I think I shared with Jason, dude, you would not believe the meeting I just had. And I told him everything I just told you. But I also began to pray and meditate on this thing about ambition. I said, Lord, I know, I know 
that I can receive things. Strike a wise man, he will love you. I want to be a wise man. I don't want to be stupid. I mean, the Bible just lays it out there, right? Don't be stupid. Stupid people don't like to be corrected. Don't be stupid. Just get a bumper sticker. I'm not stupid. <laughs> and so I began to pray about that. And you know what the Lord did? Was he, he started talking to me. He said, Joshua, you're not who he sees you as. He projected a lot of his own walk onto you, but he does spot some ambition in you. And here's where it is. You are a motivated person. You love me and you believe the words that I give you, but you have a tendency to get ambitious about them and you go after it and you let it set the tone for your joy level and your bedside manner sometimes to where it's like you're looking around for those prophetic words to happen and you're just working, just working, just going and you're not happy until you see it. And when that, when that happens, that's called ambition. Because I'm with you the whole time. And when you do that, that's where ambition's owning you. So it doesn't run your whole life, but it is affecting you. So I began to repent of it. And the truth is I've been enjoying my life a lot more. That was in January when that happened. That was this last January. What's my point? Number one, I wanted to brag about myself. No. I wanted to explain to you, honestly, I mean, I did pass this test. And I would that we would all pass this test. You see, I've learned to take correction and input from anyone that will give it to me. Anyone. Now, I'm going to take it to the degree of the equity that that person has, but I'm going to take it to the Lord. Because if you strike a wise man, he'll love you. But if you correct a fool, he'll hate you. And I ain't no fool. My mama didn't raise no fool. So remember this. We were all sick. We're coming from being sick, broken, dysfunctional chuckleheads. That's where Jesus found us. And unless we're doing the physical therapy and allowing him to form us and shape us into a functioning part of the body and go through the pain of him doing that, in which he uses other people, then you're not very far from there. You may have been saved for many, many years, but you might be kind of crippled. You might, might still be doing some of this. People are like, dude, what's up with that? You're like, oh, God healed me. They're like, that don't look healed. You should have seen it before. Okay, you've come this far, and that's awesome. Praise God. But there's more. There's more to be done. And how do you allow that to happen? You humble yourself. You let other people in your life. You embrace relationships, and you begin to thank people. The faithful wounds of a friend. So when somebody comes and says, hey, I've noticed that you only come and worship every eight weeks, and I want to challenge you on that. God has told us to consistently gather together to worship him, to consistently stir one, another's up, one another up, and I wonder why you don't feel that that applies to you. I'm challenging you on that. Not on my opinion, but the word of God says this. Then you thank them, and you go, you know what? That's me. That's me. I'm in the habit of not coming into the presence and so when the psalm says about you, I became like a brute beast. I looked at the rich man prospering, and I wondered, what's the point of serving God? But then I went into the temple. I went into the synagogue. I went into the presence of God, and there I remembered, oh, God. Oh, God. And so if you're doing it every eight weeks, you're like a brute beast seven weeks out of the two months. It's a bad program. That word's for you. Or maybe you're one of those people that's always signing God's name to everywhere, every, everything, but you don't let anybody else give you input right? Okay, here's what we're going to do. I want to thank you, first of all, for giving me an extra 25 minutes to speak to you and to love you and to bless you and to challenge you and to wound you. 
But I believe everyone in this house is a wise woman and a wise man. I believe everyone in this house is saying, Lord, I do want you to correct me. I do want to live. And I don't want to lower the standard to my current experience. I don't want to lower the standard to how many years I've been walking with Jesus. Years doesn't mean anything. What matters is, am I consistently coming before the Lord as long as it is today? Am I doing that thing that God's called me to do? Am I walking in love and commitment and community with others so that I can show what the body of Christ looks like? Because if I'm doing those things, then indeed, he's restored me to his glory. So here's what we're gonna do. The worship team's gonna come up here, and I just want you to take a moment, and I just want you to do business with God. And as soon as he releases you, then feel free to just go out and enjoy this week, and I can't wait to see you next week. But I want you to just take a moment, just vertically before the Lord, and say, Lord, you search me. You search me, Lord. Where's the place where I've lowered the standard? Where's the place where I've brought it closer to where I was sick than going towards the glory of God? And for all of you, the 40 of you that will be here, we're meeting at Willamette at 315. Willamette, bring a white shirt. I'm gonna pray. Father in heaven, we come before you now, Lord, so glad for your word. Thank you that we're not basing this on our own objective experiences with you alone. But Lord, we're basing this on the fact that you are a God that has met personally with each of us and confirms in your word that indeed it's you. You're one who has given us the scriptures so that we can look at it and allow you by your Holy Spirit to search us, that we would each cause our lives to conform to the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is given to us in your word. God, we repent for the places where we've lowered the standard, and we ask simply this, Lord. Show us, strengthen us, forgive us, extend your love into us, heal us, let us be humble, and most of all, Lord, let us be together with you.